the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nala. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investinunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor. Welcome to episode 75 of Magic Markets here with uh, my good friend and co-host and co-founder and all of those good things, Mohamed Nala, all the way from Canada. And then someone you've not heard from before on Magic Markets, and that is Justin Brophy. And uh, Just, you're coming to us from the UK, aren't you? That's right. Uh, thanks very much for having me, Coast, to you and your listeners and to Mohamed as well. It's a nice international show as always. Hello, Mo. Yeah, always a pleasure, Ghost, and a pleasure welcoming Justin. You know, I mean, he may be an unfamiliar voice to some of our listeners on the show, uh, but for those of you that do follow us very closely, you'll be familiar with another name, Craig and Tony. Uh, and Craig is the chief investment officer of Anbro Capital. Uh, Justin is the co-founder, along with Craig. He's part of the Anbro team, and that's why it's such a pleasure to welcome Justin on board because, you know, we love unpacking new ideas. We love unpacking and bringing voices onto the show uh, where we can take those insights and not just keep them to myself or yourself, Ghost, but share those with our listeners, with our subscribers. So, Justin, welcome. An absolute pleasure having you here on Magic Markets. Thank you so much, Mohamed. So, Justin, I think the question on everyone's lips is, is pretty obvious, right? As we all watch the markets and we see what's going on out there. And that is, has growth bottomed? I mean, you guys are died in the world, growth investors, stock pickers, you know, really interesting part of the market. It's the technologies of tomorrow, but there's been a big sell-off this year. What is your thinking around that? Thanks, Ghost. I think first and foremost, you know, it's a great way to start because a lot of our investors, we've been in chats with them and obviously there's been concern, you know, when you see some of the pullbacks we've seen uh, across the board on the NASDAQ and, you know, we talk up a growth game, that's what we're good at and those are the stocks we're really excited about for the future. I think the most important part and, uh, you know, I'll encourage Mohammed to jump in with his economic, uh, you know, analyst hat on here. But if you look at the, one of the worst things that could happen for growth stocks is you look at the discounting of cash flows. Sadly, I think there's at the moment a little bit of concern from the market when you look at where or how far or how many times the Fed is going to raise interest rates. And for your listeners, just a 10-second recap, when we look at the valuation of a lot of these stocks, what you're seeing now is a 12-month time value with the forecast growth included. Now, anytime you look at what's any of these growth stocks that we've got are coming out and saying could be their you know, next um, growth guidance or whatever they're doing. Every time Fed raises that rate, you're getting a discounted position on that, which means your overall share price is being impacted. Now, if we just take a quick look at that and how fast that's happened, the Fed 
from December, you know, up until December 2021, they felt that due to the pandemic, inflation would be transient. Now, post the fact that we now had quite big housing price growth, wages price growth in the States and in the rest of the first world, actually, um, you then had on top of that, suddenly you had what was called the Great Reopening, where a lot of these markets opened, a lot of uh, people had savings from that time and started spending. The problem is the world they've come into is a world where there's supply constraints and a lot of manufacturing um, is not necessarily online at the moment. So what the Fed's seeing is China's zero COVID policy leading to manufacturing coming under strain. Obviously, we're seeing the Russia-Ukraine impact um, where a lot of, of really important commodities can't get out. And suddenly you're seeing real inflation going from transient to in concrete. It's there. You know, Powell is comfortable. It's a soft landing. Not all analysts are that comfortable with Powell. I think you may have, may have made a mistake. You may have acted too slowly. You know, that's not for me to call or the market. I think we'll see how that works. He's still calling a soft landing. But the problem is if interest rates do rise and continue to rise, you are talking about a bigger divisor and obviously that impact to, to share prices. To answer your question about growth stocks, I think when we see some form of peaking in inflation is when I think you're going to start to see a little bit more solid ground for growth stocks. Um, you know, that said, the ones that are on the peripheral, not stocks we own, but some of the periphery stuff like Peloton, which is on a knife edge today, came out desperate to actually loan $750 million. So it is also flushing out, you know, markets are efficient. It is flushing out those on the fringes. But quality growth stocks, well managed with, um, you know, the right kind of management in place that they have been, we still have a lot of belief in. Yeah, I think, Justin, I mean, th th that's a great way to kick off here because you're right about the discount rate. It's something that Ghost and I have spoken about quite a bit. There's something I actually want to touch on because, you know, we're discussing growth stocks specifically here. And I'm, I'm so glad you've highlighted the likes of the peripheral stuff. So Peloton, for example, needing to go and raise cash in the market to kind of give themselves that buffer. Before we even go into that, I think there's one more point I want to raise kind of from a macro perspective, but it's actually where the macro meets the micro. So I think it's a nice bridge into discussing some of the specific ideas and opportunities you see in that space is that the problem with growth stocks are not just the discount factor, but it's the fact that you're pricing in growth and you're applying this massive multiple to it as well. So when either growth disappoints just a little bit and you get the multiple unwinding, it's this double whammy that comes through very quickly. And what you also see is that Traditional measures, like if you're looking at a company's balance sheet, that when this starts to unravel, those ratios move against you in a very sharp, disjointed kind of manner. So that's why it's so important that you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. Definitely, Mo. And I think just to highlight that, um, you know, looking at, at investors at the moment, investors seem to also have a little bit of a, a lack of confidence out there. Your institutional investment flow, if you look at it, even some of the retail investors. You know, it's a little bit like there's a little bit of COVID fatigue. Now you've got Russia and Ukraine. Now I've got inflation at home. So I think there's a, a tolerance level that's fallen a bit with, with people. People are looking for returns. Interestingly enough, we saw this with um, in the biotech space. Um, that seemed to be a little bit of a flag, um, you know, from our side. We saw a lot of, a lot of money flow into the biotech space during uh, the COVID pandemic. And suddenly there were a lot of biotechs which suddenly popped up on the radar, new biotech funds, etc. And Craig and I took a cautious view. There are some that we really like. But we took a view and we had a look post this period now to give you an idea of how hard investors are looking for returns. 
The volatility in some of those buy stocks has been absolutely incredible because investors are saying, I'm not waiting 10 years for a view. I need to see where I can sit and how I can actually make money over the shorter term. I mean, it's we, we're looking at an unparalleled market where, you know, you've seen bonds and equities fall. And even, although I hate to mention it, cryptos even falling. So, so you know, I was saying, you know, where where is the money going? And, you know, maybe for another show and another another time, consider that there could also have been quite a lot of gearing in this. You know, there's, there's a little bit of an optionality unwind because you're not seeing money change class. Normally, it would move from equities to, to you know, to bonds. So that's just a, a two-minute um, summary there. So just something else I want to ask you before we get into these uh, biotech stocks that I know you're busy looking at is just some thoughts around venture capital. I've seen a lot of founders bleating about the lack of Series C money available. And I think that's just a function of, you know, the spreadsheet of a return. If your next exit is in an IPO and right now it's very hard to IPO and your discount rate is higher, then obviously your Series C looks worse. If that's a problem, your Series B looks worse, your A, it all just looks worse. And one of the issues we are seeing with these growth stocks at the moment is that their expenses are running ahead of revenue growth because devs have become so outrageously, frankly, overpaid. It just seems like the market can't carry on with these kind of salaries for these people. What we're seeing at the moment, and Shopify is the biggest offender, which is what we're doing in premium this week. I mean, their expense growth is absolutely insane relative to revenue growth. They've crushed their earnings in this latest quarter completely. So... I think that's part of it. I think that's part of what's hurting growth stocks at the moment is negative jaws, which means that expense growth is just running higher than income growth at the moment. What we've seen sort of across the board from our research guys in different stocks we follow, in echoing what you're saying is that there is a, a small pool of really talented people across the board. I think what you're seeing is that we're seeing a bit of a roundabout one on investor fatigue. So people are looking to say, what, what's a, a more sure bet? I'm worried about volatility. I'm worried about there's a lot of unknowns and uncertainty that's out there. So people are hesitant. So that that third round, or you call it C uh, raise, that's coming through, um, moving to B. I think that next step, you're looking at a small pool of really talented people that are costing a lot of money. And I think they're becoming a little bit sticky because the cost to do that without the ability to raise capital, move to that next step, is quite a big leap. So you've got to be someone like an Apple or, or bigger um, around that phase if you're really going to be in that space. That said, the very nature of a lot of growth stocks is not to be profitable. You know, like Craig's, you know, Craig's been on previously, spoken about something like Amazon, which basically just grew all its profits into its platform. But at the same time, you've got to be able to show, like any normal stock, you know, that those are warranted because they're coming at quite a high cost now both with exactly what you've said, which is the, um, you know, having people who are employed at a very high rate, which is a very small pool. And secondly, to raise capital to actually do that, it's very expensive. So you've got to be really sure with interest rates rising that you're going to see that growth to meet those, those pieces. Yeah, one last point on that, which I think is worth raising before we get into the companies, is just if VC does start to reduce or fall over or whatever, then the existing growth stocks, to your point, actually are able to do more of the innovation because they've got the balance sheet now to do it. There's fewer disruptors perhaps coming through. So this is just really interesting stuff to think about when you see market disruption like this. You know, this is what makes investing really fun. Yeah, and I think it's actually a nice place to to start getting into some of those stocks that you're looking at. I mean, Justin, you mentioned biotech. Now, biotech's interesting because it's a sector that pre-pandemic was getting a lot of attention. A lot of people were talking about it because 
Now, we want stuff that makes our lives better. We want stuff that extends longevity. For example, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on there. Healthcare has become a massive theme. It's a macro theme that doesn't go away. I think in the pandemic, it obviously got supercharged. You know, a lot of these names went completely ballistic. And now we're seeing a lot of these names collapse in a heap along with almost every other high growth and tech oriented stock. Biotech's not your classic tech. You know, it's not necessarily a platform or whatever it may be. It's real hardcore R&D that sometimes takes a long time to incubate. You know, you put in so much investment into that R&D and it actualizes in the long term or it doesn't. So it's traditionally a fairly high risk uh, sector in general. Uh, what's the first one you want to take us through? Well, thanks, Maya. I think the most important thing I want to talk about with these three is that these are real businesses with a proved product that are able to deliver a product and earn a revenue. And that's very important because some of the biotechs you see are waiting on amazing uh, technology that still has got to go through a whole lot of tests and then be appointed to the current regulator. If it's in the States, FDA, whoever it is around the world. And the problem with that is that can take up to 10 years. And I think when we look at biotech, we want to find somebody who's actually operational. You know, it's, it's wonderful to have us, you know, have stocks on the radar that are incredible, that could change the world. But the reality is for investors, we've also got a, you know, a reputation on our side where we've got to look at stock we really believe will grow and some, they have a tangible that's out there in the market deriving revenue. So the first, the first one I wanted to chat about was, is a stock called Progeny. Progeny, just in, in a two-second two summary, really what they are is, as we know today, the majority of the workforce is millennials. If we look at millennials and we look at their number one current um, HR sort of want, it's healthcare. Now, a fascinating thing that, that Progeny did was, you know, IVF and uh, family planning age of millennials is a real, um, you know, that's the sweet spot for people looking to have uh, children and, and looking to move forward. Now, in the States at the moment, where you have a scenario where there's potentially two jobs for every person, you've got a real fight on between companies to keep staff. Now, IVF can cost up to $60,000 in the States. It's very expensive. What Progeny have done is they're a, they're a bolt-on for any company. So if I'm choosing to go and work at Starbucks or I'm going to go and work at a competitor to Starbucks out there, what will happen is that I'll go and look as a, as a millennial or if I'm going to go and work at Google or Apple and I get a job on, you know, on the table from both. The next step is what are the benefits around that job? What makes that job better for me to go there? And one of the things that th these guys have done is that they've actually bought IVF and um, fertility treatment directly and as a benefit. And what they've done that's clever is that they've been able to give it as a benefit, give you the, the full package, and it's not just you're on your own like a discovery where we'll pay for it, off you go. These guys have got a whole program. They've got uh, Progeny Rx, which supplies the actual uh, pharmaceuticals behind this that you can apply to. They've got the psychological care behind this, and you go into a full program. And so it's seen as incredibly valuable uh, from an employee basis. The interesting part about them is that in the States, there's 8,000 companies with at least 1,000 employees. If we look at Progeny's penetration, they're only in 3% of those companies. Their target market is around 75 million covered lives. They're only at about 5% of that at the moment. And the interesting part for them as an investor is there's two potentials here. One, they are profitable and growing. Two, they could actually be taken out. Somebody might look at this 
you know, an Aon or someone like that might look at them and say, listen, hey, this is a clever insurance um, system that we have that's hugely required and wanted by people. So what you're seeing there in summary is a business that can give you um, a very interesting, I think, robust value add to any, any employee discussion. If you've got a potential employee you want to bring across and you offer this, it's a big thing to this age group, particularly to millennials. Two, what it does also do is it gives people confidence that they're not just getting an insurance policy and off they go. They're getting a full program. And lastly, what it gives you is it gives you a company that's already got a profitable um, you know, product that's out there and they actually are developing it even further to go a step further into other types of, of assistance for, you know, for employees. So this is an insurance-based product, but it is a very smart way for me to get someone to come and join my company. Just a quick question for me, and this applies to almost every single growth stock, is that it's great looking at the bottoms up. What are you paying for that growth? You know, in terms of what are the multiples sitting on right now, how does that unwind? Because, you know, you can look at a peg ratio, for example. What What is your outlook on this particular stock? I like the idea. I think the business conceptually is great, and it's fantastic that it makes money. But how much are you paying for what's priced into the stock already? So if you'd asked me that question in December, I'd say you're probably paying you know, slightly over for that. So for me, this is a stock that in December would have been, you know, well-priced, but, you know, you'd have to be looking forward and, and be looking at opportunities to buy. This is a stock now, which I think, you know, for us is really interesting. Um, I personally have got it. I've bought the stock. Um, you know, we don't let clients have any stocks we don't own ourselves. Um, at the end of the day, we, we make sure that, you know, where we are invested, clients are invested. So we're alongside our clients. And for me, the, the, the numbers that are in this business just potentially are, for me, are, are frightening. I mean, 2022 revenue growth was 50%, and they're still so small. So when you ask a question about value, I think a company that's got almost 100% client retention at the moment has a huge addressable, total addressable market. It doesn't mean it won't be more volatile in this market, but it's something I really like, and it talks to the economic position in the States. Just moving on to your second one that you've uh, put on our list here, which is called Exact Sciences. So this is a cancer business. I think most people have a personal and sad story about that illness. We all hate it. And uh, clearly, this is an area that is critical to health for all of us. I think cancer, you know, I don't have stats in front of me, but as far as I know, it's certainly gotten a lot worse in recent times. Our lifestyles are not conducive to avoiding this thing. So I'll, uh, I'll quickly touch on some numbers here, and then I'm keen to hear from you about this business. So latest quarterly revenue up 24%. COVID testing revenue down 15%, which makes me happy because that means fewer people are testing for COVID, which is good. Um, but, you know, this business, unlike the last one we talked about, very big losses at the moment, negative EBITDA. So keen to understand, you know, what are the catalysts that get a company like this to profit? And as a follow-up to that, and you'll obviously talk about the business as well, how do you guys think about the balance sheet to get there? Because obviously, if, if a company's making losses, then you know it's busy burning through cash. I imagine that's something that's in your process, is to look at the strength of the balance sheet and say, okay, can this then fund itself to that catalyst, to that profitability? In fact, also maybe contextualize that volatility. You know, what, what does that mean for investors? How patient do you need to be on this? Because it's highly sensitive to when you get into the stock and what your long thesis would be. I think all of those are very, very valid, you know, questions as an investor, what you should be asking yourself when you look at these stocks. And I think while there's good stories, just a quick thing to touch on is stocks have always got to stack up from a qualitative, quantitative, you've got to do your homework. When you look at a stock as an investor, 
across the board, all those things count. Good ideas are great, but good ideas that actually sell products, make money and solve problems for people are better. And those are the stocks we're interested in. Now, the interesting part about, about this particular stock is that they had an agreement with Pfizer, which meant that their underlying ColoGuard, which is their screening, they're a screener. They, they screen for colorectal cancer, which is the second biggest cancer in the States. Now, two important things have happened in the stock and why we really, I really personally like it, and Craig and I are looking at this stock carefully, is that the movement from ColoGuard 1 to ColoGuard 2, which is their, what they call their testing, um, their main testing sort of uh, process, when they, when they originally had ColorGuard 1, they partnered with Pfizer, obviously to get the exposure, to get this out in the market. When you talk about costs, they've gone from 5,000 staff members to 6,500. And they've also now brought in 400. They've employed 400 Pfizer reps globally to come in and work for them. So you, what you're doing is you're investing in a scenario where you're looking at sales, in future sales. So that's the one important thing about them. What's incredible about them is their, their scenario here, a, to test for colorectal cancer is very invasive. Most people, believe it or not, a third to two, two uh, thirds of people will put it off and put it off and put it off because it's, it's, it, people think it's so invasive. So when you talk about a step change or something that can really help people, this test can be done in two forms, a home test kit or liquid biopsy. Now, the most important thing here is changing people's perception of how I can get tested, one. And two, there's a, there's a very big change here in potential revenue because with the research we get, we get really good insights on the ground. And one of the things our team picked up quite a, quite a while ago was that a lot of the medical insurance houses in the States have now seen the benefit of early screening for cancer because it's far cheaper and far more effective to help someone in the early stages than in stage four. When you look at this particular test and what they're doing and how it works, Typically, it used to be at 50, and then every three years from age 50, you could be tested. What's just been approved by all the medical insurers is to drop that to age 45. So what's happening is they now have approximately, I think it's 50-odd million new potential people they can test on medical going forward every three years. So that opened just in the States alone, and this is a global company, just opened up a whole new door for them to get out and get involved in. Plus, you've got something that's now approved by uh, the medical insurance um, side, of, side of things. So that's very big. I, like you, I, I never really looked at the COVID side with much importance. To me, that was a, a very interim play. They stepped in to help because they had the testing facilities. So I was also glad that's moved out. Also, don't underestimate these guys. They're not, they don't sit on their hands and they're not scared to do acquisitions where they need to. Um, that's one thing I really respect around them. So they've bought, um, you know, they've, they've stepped in and bought all sorts of different immune mapping stuff from time to time where it makes sense. And something that they're now looking to get into is early detection of breast cancer in a less invasive manner. They don't have a product yet, but these guys are out there and their real play is trying to detect cancer early. They're not trying to cure it. They're not trying to do anything. They're trying to detect it early so people can be saved by technology as it stands today. And it's a real product. And that's one of the reasons we really like it. I think in the interest of time, there's, there's one more stock that we want to get into. And why I find this so interesting is, is Progeny, which was the first one you discussed, is about new life and helping families, you know, a, integrate in the workforce, but also helping them with their family planning. The other is about looking after life, you know, protecting people 
uh, who potentially would have missed their cancer screening. Those arguably sit in terms of one common theme, but maybe on opposite ends in terms of just life cycle, you know, where you are. One is family starting out, one slightly, slightly more mature. Just maybe jump into the last stock that you want to cover with us, because I think it, it also falls into a very interesting niche that's neither of the two that we've discussed, but also could be a very compelling idea and story. Absolutely. This particular one has been my one of my favorites for a long time. And... Um, like many other investors, I've watched it just fall in a heap in the last couple of weeks as it got flat battered. But because I'm a long-term investor, this is something I really like. Now, this particular one is, is actually a step change in technology. For many of us, as we get older, obviously our eyesight goes. All of us will know during our lifetime about LASIK laser, laser surgery and um, you know going in to have this done. And I think it's you know LASIK's been incredible. It's helped a lot of people. But it's actually quite an invasive and... Um, and painful and, and long-term recovery is, is, is hard with LASIK to get it done. And it was the best treatment at the time. This stock is incredible. Star Surgical, and I've tested this with an ophthalmologist in South Africa, by the way. Um, we, we had a chat about this, and he loves the idea of this. Effectively, all that happens here is this is a 10-minute process. They'll test your eyes. You'll go in. They cut only the very top membrane of your eye. They insert an, an ICL, implantable contact lens, into your eye. And within 10 minutes, you can leave. You are done. And um, it is regarded at the moment um, as one of the highest uh, loyalty scores you can get by people who have had it. Over a million people have had this treatment from, from them. They've just around the world, and they've just had approval in the States, in their home market, to actually start rolling it out. Now, here's an interesting play and why I brought this one up as well. As investors, we know it's difficult to invest in China because I, as a non-Chinese uh, resident or citizen, can't buy Chinese stocks. This company was approached by the Chinese government because 80% of Chinese students wear glasses or have eyesight issues. And they've now spoken to Star about using this technology in China. So what you have here is you have a very interesting little company that you look at and you say, okay, so these guys do implantable contact lenses and they, they've put a million, they've done a million patients. Why am I interested? Well, I'm interested because I can buy this in a liquid regulated market and I can get access to Chinese, um, you know, Chinese market with these guys as well, which is incredible. And I think for me, this is a stock where you buy the stock, you've obviously got to keep watching it. You've got to look at it in terms of its valuation. It doesn't get ahead of itself. And critically, its management stays in place. But this is a stock that has real runway to actually go and, you know, grow massively in terms of what they do. So ICL implants cost $3,500 per eye in the States, compared to LASIX, which cost an estimated $2,250 per eye. But the difference is, as this company grows, obviously it'll come down. Each lens is personalized that you get. So if we look at this particular company and those costs, you are in a scenario where within 10 minutes, you're done. A child could have it done, a more sensitive person who's 50, 60, you know, worried about their eyes, a bit scared of someone using a laser, can get this done. And uh, at this stage, 96% of their revenue comes, out, comes from outside of the States. 44% of their sales are in China, and Japan is 21%. So there's true opportunity for these guys now stepping into the States with a really revolutionary product. And I think that exposure globally for revenue and um, doing good for people is phenomenal. What a cool business, Just. And yeah, I think we're nearly out of time, but I'll tell you what's one thing I need to mention before we go. 
gross margin in that business is almost 78%. It's remarkable. That's got to be one of the biggest gross margins I've seen. It's phenomenal. Going forward, if there's not a change in pricing between, um, you know, the, the, the gap narrows to lesser because they've got such a big margin, they could be a lot more competitive. And as they play in more first world markets where laser therapy is more, you know, accepted and people know their mom might have had it or their dad or they've had it or their sister, I think they might have to bring that down slightly. But at 78, I mean, you've got a lot of fat in that. Look, they own a lot of their process. So that's what makes, you know, they develop and, and, and build their own lenses. So that gives them a lot of fat in their supply and logistics chain. Yeah, amazing. So, Just, that's definitely all we've got time for. But before you run, one thing I just want to point our listeners to is, you know, go and check out investinunicorns.com. Go and see what the guys are up to. But also, importantly, speak to your financial advisor as part of an allocation in your portfolio to growth. I think that's really important. And, Just, I'm sure you would agree with us is, you know, no one is saying, well, pile everything into growth, pile everything into value, pile everything into bonds. It's a portfolio. And these are the companies that are doing really interesting things for the next few years. I love the I love the description of growth stocks having been flat batted. I laughed about that quite a lot while you were talking. It's, it is just a wonderful, very vivid and <laughs> imagery around what's happened to some of these stock charts. And the point is, yeah, that is what's happened. That's a market cycle. That's how it works. But a great stock picking strategy works out over time. And I think that's where you guys specialize. So it's investingunicorns.com for those who want to find out more. Yeah, I just want to say thank you to Justin for being on the show. And, uh, you know, to our listeners as well, the team from Anbro are remarkably approachable. So visit the website, it's investinunicorns.com, but reach out to the team if you have questions. You know, I think we've highlighted on the show and on, on several shows, they're willing to share some of the ideas with us, with our listeners. Uh, and these are ideas that are live, that they're putting into their funds. Uh, they are growth investors, but they're growth investors that don't just kind of YOLO into stocks. These are guys, I've worked with Justin and Craig years ago, back in investment banking and in, in private wealth management as well. So I know the team quite well, just on a personal basis. Uh, I think our listeners would do well if they reached out to the team with any specific questions as well. And you'll find their details on the website. So just thanks so much for taking the time out to come and spend this, share some of those ideas with us and with our listeners. And we look forward to many, many more chats like this going forward as well. Thank you so much, Mohammed, and, and Ghost as well. Really appreciate it. And we encourage your listeners, please, you know, reach out, chat to us. We're happy to chat further and all our details are there. So we look forward to it. Thanks so much for today. This podcast is brought to you by Anbro Capital Investments. Invest in the future, invest in growth. Visit investinunicorns.com to learn more. The Unicorn Portfolio is managed by Anbro Capital Investments, an authorized financial services provider. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please speak to your personal financial advisor.